Good evening. And now, the Inspirational Quarterly. Hello and welcome back to the Inspirational Quarterly, the world's only podcast dedicated to reading, reviewing, and discussing StarCraft Ghost Nova, the 2006 novel by USA Today bestselling author Keith R.A. DeCandido. I am Davey Reedon, and joining me today, as always, is Kara Ellison. Hello, Kara. Hello. I am here. We are both here. Mm-hmm. We are both ready. We are primed. We are pumped. Indeed. Um, we uh, got an email back from our friend Spencer, who wrote <gasps> us last week. Uh-huh. And Spencer says, Howdy. Thank you both very much for the insight with my situation, which if you don't remember Spencer's situation was needing to know how to incorporate fire trucks into his uh, novel without it or with or without it invoking family guy. (laughs) And he says, he says at the moment, I'm not sure that footnotes are the direction I want to go though. It is tempting. Okay. All right. Well, we gave you the correct answer, but you can, you know, choose not to use it i guess uh i'll be sure to share the finished work with y'all if and when that happens uh spencer says also wanted to share that i was able to find an affordable copy of starcraft ghost nova online (gasps) and it arrived today can't wait to be able to read along wishing you well spencer he sends a photo of the book the physical book um that he got oh my goodness we are single-handedly uh you know enriching keith's pockets that's well who knows i the likelihood that these copies are going, that any of this is going to Keith is very low. That's true. In fact, it was probably a one-off payment for this sort of I thing, I can't right? imagine Keith is still getting any money from this. <laughs> oh, bless his uh, heart. Except, except in the revenue uh, created from new readers of Keith R.A. DeCandido, this podcast has inspired. Of course. Now they can go find all of his new masterworks. Yes. Uh, so thank you, Spencer, for picking up a copy of the book. Uh, it's a shame that you won't read any of it because we apparently don't talk about StarCraft Ghost Nova on this podcast anymore. (laughs) We were just saying we didn't really get very far last time. We are a complete (laughs) disgrace, baby. We, we... I made a firm commitment that I would do nothing but read StarCraft Ghost Nova and I've failed. (laughs) And, uh... On that note, it's time for everyone's uh, least favorite segment of this podcast. Uh, it's it's time for this week in season ten of Family Guy. <laughs> um, it's hi everyone, welcome back to this week in season ten of Family Guy. It's the portion of the inspirational quarterly where I watch and review each episode from season ten of Family Guy one at a time. Mm. Kara. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's so bad. I don't know how to I don't know how to communicate this. I've literally like I watched this episode yesterday and since then like I mean like literally like I was up last night trying to like racking my brain how do I communicate how phenomenally putrid this show is. Um <laughs> Like the first, like the first episode, the one that I talked about last week was bad. Like it was, we both agree it was very bad. And I was like, surely it won't, like, sh- maybe that's like a season 
premiere and they're like going in hard with some really weird shit, you know, and maybe, yeah. maybe the next one will. No, 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 no. They just run no, out of ideas, basically. I well, mean, not that you ever had brilliant ideas yeah. on that show, but they've hit the bottom. Like they hit the bottom of the barrel a long time ago, and they dug through the barrel, and they're now in the Earth's crust. You know, like chinking away at like metamorphic rock or something. Right. Um. There's there's so much to discuss in this episode. I'm I'm worried we literally won't talk about anything else. Other than this one episode of Family Guy, because it's it's a ma- it's a mammoth of it's 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 almost impressive, like in its commitment to violating uh, the 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 uh, an adherence to good taste, uh, pu- uh, consideration of of other uh, people and and cultures. Uh, uh, comedy all of it all of it let's let's jump in let's jump in this one is called seahorse seashell party this aired on october 2nd 2011 okay uh as a as a hurricane hits quahog which is the city where where um family guy takes place quahog rhode island as as a hurricane hits quahog brian gets high on mushrooms meg finally summons up the courage to confront the family Okay, so this one is uh, sort of a bottle episode, which um, for anyone who doesn't know what that term means, the bottle episode is, is an episode of a TV show where they uh, contain all of the main characters from the show in one contained location um, or bottling them. And then the, the, the episode basically revolves just around their interactions with one another while in this very contained location. So it's usually just focuses on like, relationships and things like that um uh so so the family is stuck inside because there's this storm uh going on uh time elapsed in this episode until uh its first uh cruel joke at the expense of a major ethnicity less than 30 seconds 25 seconds in, the very first joke of the whole episode uh, is a G.I. Joe parody called G.I. Jose, a real Mexican hero. And the joke, and I'm like air quoting here, the joke is that uh, some kid, a kid trips and gets cut and G.I. Jose shows shows up and tells the kid to rub dirt in the wound and then says remember kids like i always say you know enough which is a play on the gi joe thing of like knowledge you know knowledge is power or whatever right mm-hmm. so the joke the joke is that the mexican gi joe is really ignorant and doesn't learn oh my things. god when what what year did this Air? 2011 2000 october 2nd 2011 right like it, I, it is it, it's, 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 show, it's are the showrunners are the showrunners living in the 1950s like this is genuinely appalling stuff like i mean no, it's, i it's, have seen family guy so you know i stopped watching it, can, it for these reasons but i'm very genuinely surprised they keep kept going with this stuff 
Well, and I've talked about this before. I loved the first couple seasons of Family Guy. Like I was, I mean, I was a kid, you know, but like we would, we would watch the DVDs of them and I would laugh and I thought they were funny and everything. And going like, okay, I wasn't expecting to go into this mini project of watching Family Guy. I was thinking like, oh, the jokes will be maybe not funny, for example. And then I will comment on them being not funny. I wasn't expecting them to be so so violently uh, upsetting. Yeah, Ups- like, so, yeah, like upsetting it's clear in at this, this point that they're deliberately going, driving into that territory and deliberately being racist. Like, I, I don't know. It seems a bit right. like they would they know what they're doing, right? Yeah, like, like there's, right. No, no, it, it has to be. And and the only way that you could, you know, it would be like in the way where you imagine, you know, like kids on the schoolyard using, say, like shitty slurs because they don't understand what they're saying and they're just trying to get a, like, get attention or something like that. Yeah. That's like the closest you could you could come to this, except these are presumably grown adults and not children. Right. These are people who have who are grown adults and have been making this show for like years or something like the first time you make like an extremely racist mistake. Usually someone pulls you up in it and goes like, well, hey, that's not cool or takes you aside and is like, never do that again. That's awful. I need you to apologize kind of stuff. Like usually someone is like, hello, please don't do this. People don't usually get paid to make that yes yeah that's like for 10 years for 10 years they're getting they're getting paid to do this um let's keep going because there's so much in this episode so okay so just being like racist is a whole horrible aspect of family guys oeuvre at this point there's another aspect of family guys oeuvre which is not making jokes Right? right? I'm not going to put this on the same level as like being racist, obviously, but, but it's like, if you're going to be shitty, at least tell jokes, I guess. So, th- okay. I pulled this up because this is one of two sections and I have this here that on my phone, I'm just going to like play this into the microphone. This is one section of, um, so the, the, the theme of this of this episode is that they're sitting in the house and it's raining and they can't go anywhere or do anything. So they're like trying to find things to do, you know, to entertain themselves. Right. And Peter is like, I'm going to make noises. And this, this is, this is a portion of the show. There you go. That was uh, 40 seconds of Peter making noises, um, which apparently is one of the jokes that someone thought was a joke that we that they would add uh, into Family Guy. Um, I'm going to scroll ahead just just two minutes later. Um, 
to uh, another segment of the sh- of this episode, wherein uh, Peter sings along to uh, the theme song from Indiana Jones. All right, and uh, here it is. The Last Crusade. Feel free to join in. <laughs> Ten years. Ten years. Will you stop that? That is so annoying. All right. That, like, I, I, that whole, those two things together were nearly two minutes of this 22 minute episode of television. It's so um, lazy. So I think one th- of those were th- like ugh. right back to back from one another in the episode. I think I think one of two things is happening here. They're so first of all, they think that Peter's voice is a joke that they can rely on because they think that the voice well, itself is a, a comedy thing. Well, that's what we talked about last time when we talked about buttle my penis. Right. right. The idea that Peter literally saying the phrase buttle my penis is funny enough that it can be said. And that's just somehow a joke on its own. Right. right. Same kind of lo- logic here. Yeah. But I think in this particular case, they're trying to suggest that the the addition of Peter's voice alone on top of the Indiana Jones theme tune is funny. And yes. like it's well, obviously it's not. But also, I think that they're also relying on, like, the kind of, you know, because they've always kind of been lazy in Family Guy, and they kind of relied on the audience's knowledge of pop culture to keep them interested in what's going on, right? So Uh people who recognize the Indiana Jones theme song, or it's not really the theme, it's like the score, then, like... You know, they're 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 hopefully what they're thinking is all they're going to sit there and chuckle away because they recognize the pattern of this score, Um, which unfortunately is true of nerd comedies. Like it started off with like based in two thousand where they were like, oh, we can just make references to nerdery and people will be like delighted by that. But that actually that window of opportunity kind of shut like maybe two years later and then people have been doing it ever since. So I don't know why they're continuing. Um, Yeah. But and yeah. And part of what gets me is that these two segments are literally at three and six minutes in this episode and someone did it. So someone writing this did one of these like, oh, just Peter saying stuff will be funny. And then, you know, two minutes later is like, hey, you know, what would be funny is Peter saying stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, there's something there's something where when you put them in proximity, it's so damning of a person who who gets paid to create things for a living. Yeah. And you know what it really reminds me of? Chuck Lore comedies. I was literally going to, well, because what you were saying about, what you were saying about, um, point, just pointing out stuff is like 
was such a big part of what the Big Bang Theory was, mm-hmm. right? I was was like, say. was like, here's a nerd thing, right? They like, you know, dance, dance revolution, and then that's the joke, right? Yeah, and so there's there's a sense of, you know, like. So first of all, it's like, you know, recognizing a pattern of things that are being said or recognizing a reference that used to kind of pass as being like delightful in a, uh-huh. in a sitcom, but is, I mean, it was lazy at the time, but I feel like at least do something with those references. Like at least. Yes. The do thing, something. Yeah. The thing that Space did was that it put it in a stylish um, piece of, you know, because it was Edgar Wright at the time, and he put all these things in a kind of very stylish kind of, um, kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like a, not like a jump cut, but like a, a smash cut kind of way. And then he would, he would, he would essentially, you know, string things together so that you'd have these emotional beats and you'd have drama and you'd have like resolving problems and the sense that these people were living through their pop culture consumption in order to solve their problems and actually achieve something at the end of the episode. Everyone else who's ever used that pattern has not really done that. What's happened is it's turned out like these people are funny because they're not like me, right? That's Mm -hmm. the joke in a lot of Chuck Lorre stuff. Um, But it also reminds me, did you know that one of the biggest comedies of all time was, um, what was it, like Two and a Half Men? The, the the show the yeah. Harley Sheen Chuck Lorre yeah. vehicle yeah. and um apparently it's like deeply popular especially in the United States it, it has like yeah. been rerun constantly and I actually watched I dare you Davy to watch one oh, episode no. of that I am I am already so miserable watching <laughs> Family Guy I don't know how much more I can bring into my life. Like I'm already in such a fragile state having to watch this show. It's like it's really boring in in the in the same way as you're describing. There aren't really yeah. any jokes. There's canned laughter after someone says something, but it's not really a joke that they've just said. Mm-hmm. It's like it's reminiscent of pattern recognition as in like oh i knew this one character was going to say or do this because they Mm -hmm. always say or do this and and i'm laughing in some kind of collective recognition but it's not actually baseline funny so i just don't know i think i can understand why people like find it comforting but i don't think it's funny you know yeah no, no, I get you. And you know what's funny? Or <laughs> funny, funny in the uh, funny in the two and a half men sense, in that it's not going to make you laugh. Um, is that Family Guy? And I know you said you said you did not watch kind of some of the early seasons of Family Guy, no. right? Or you were maybe most, most vaguely familiar with it. So, and and I'm almost like scared to go back and watch them now because I'm worried, you know, how, how awful they're going to well, be. Worried as well, like how much we were accepting 
Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I know I know that they made a lot of humor at the expense of, of like, ethnic minorities, for example. I but I don't remember how awful they were to Asian people, I think. Yeah, no, there, no, no, there was all, and if I watched it now, I would see it in a completely different lens. But there was an aspect of Family Guy that at the time was pretty subversive. And part of what they would do is they would make these jokes that were like non-jokes, but they would do it in an intentional way to break the traditional flow of animated sitcom television. Right. Uh, uh, and some of it was actually really funny. Um, like there's there was a scene where like Peter is running just doing on his way as part of the plot to do something and trips and stubs his knee. And there's a full minute long insert of him just like, like, ah, ah, doing that. Yeah. And, and like, that's, that's comedy where people recognize the situation because they've been in that situation. Right. Right. And it's not, a, it's not a reference to a cultural thing. Yeah, right? it's actually original material. Can you imagine? It's a rich. It's a right. No, that's what I'm saying. Right? They're 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 not calling calling you to something else. They're actually like creating something new and then creating a subversive piece out of it. Right? Yeah. And you um, know the other major thing I noticed about Family Guy that I thought was the other tiny subversive thing, and I, when I say tiny, I mean like tiny. But they mm-hmm. they did constantly have a go at the Fox Network. Um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I think especially for a new show that was fairly brave. Um, I guess, you know, it's a sort of like, we feel safe enough in their, you know, our five season deal or whatever that we could probably have a go at whoever commissioned us. But, um, it's, it, I thought that was interesting and that sometimes they would deliberately have a go at, you know, um, what the Fox network allows or like, you know, who's, who's sitting on the board at the Fox network and all of those kind of things. And I thought that was interesting because these places are so powerful. And, you know, at the time I think it was like, uh, what well, still is Rupert Murdoch. Um, because I don't know, he's like a zombie or something like he'll never die. <laughs> I have no idea, but, um, yeah, Rupert Murdoch, you know, is kind of a draconian right-wing figure, you know? So, yeah. I mean, obviously that this show, I think it's obvious what this show's politics are. It's definitely not left-wing, but yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and it seems like what the show is trying to do in its 10th season is, like, call back your memory of how it used to be funny and subversive by doing things that are kind of like when it was actually interesting, but because it doesn't have anything else new to do, it's just doing the same things, right? Yeah. Um, let's let's keep going because it it actually can it just keeps going in such phenomenal ways. Um, there's a scene where, in trying to entertain one another, they say, uh, "Let's finger bang." And then they do finger guns and yell bang bang at each other. And then there's a scene where they're running around yelling, "I'm finger banging you." You're, I'm finger banging you. 
right? Right. So that's a that's a that's, that's a whole scene. That's hilarious. That's just absolutely fucking hilarious. I died laughing at that scene where they they are where finger they, banging. They're finger other. banging. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just absolutely hilarious. Um. So then, for in a B plot that has no connection to the main storyline whatsoever, Brian the dog takes uh, psychedelic mushrooms and has a uh, bad bad trip. And given that the rest of the episode is just the family in their house with no other visual anything added to it, it's obvious that this scene was meant to, was where all of the production went for right. this episode. Because okay. they do a whole, he goes to hell and there's demons and, you know, and there's like weird worm monsters that crawl out of his skin and eat him. And there's, it's just like a whole it's a whole thing where someone was actually like putting in some amount of effort, right. you know, so that the rest of the people could take the day off <laughs> or the, or the 10 years off. Um, and funny enough in this scene, uh, they do multiple instances of the flashing epilepsy lights. Oh, they, they straight up do the epilepsy lights. Like it's just, this is in 2011. We all figured this out back in the nineties. Don't do the epilepsy lights. Oh, right. God. And they're straight up. Like, that's what I like. It's, it's, it's almost inventive. How, how like disdainful this show is of the humans, the literal human beings who watch it. Um, there's a scene where I Brian, theory, the dog, I have this theory that everything. I'm only is, halfway through my notes, by the way, but keep, <laughs> yes. I have this theory that everything in America is trying to slowly damage you in a way that it won't kill you, but someone somewhere can charge you to try to repair the damage for an extreme amount of money. So essentially, God, I would love it if I would love it if I would be able to pay to undo the damage that these two episodes of Family Guy have done to my brain. But, if that's a service that anyone offers, please write in to the inspirational quarterly <laughs> at gmail.com. But one of my one of my main, you know, obviously that's like kind of how the uh, health insurance situation in America uh, kind of works is that, you know, they, uh, they'll diagnose you with a, well, first of all, like the, the, the food standards in the U.S. tend to make it very difficult for your body to, to process things. So then essentially you have to get health insurance to kind of counteract this. Then, you, you know, you get insulin, which is like a billion square billion dollars to get insulin and then you have to get it so you don't die and all of this stuff and like you know i i what's really interesting to me here is essentially family guy is kind of like the tv equivalent of this where essentially you know it's getting to the stage where they're doing the epilepsy lights and they're like you know what i don't mind if we mildly literally damage the health of our audience <laughs> you know like i don't even give a shit because this is actually how the whole of this country works it's just yeah. so wild so yeah let let me keep going because i i just I, I gotta get through this uh okay there's a scene where brian the dog is just drinking water and Peter laughs at it and okay. says the words, he's drinking water. That's a, that's a scene. That's a joke. Oh that my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. I said, I was watching. I was like, what is this? What are you talking about? What is, what's going on here? Um, 
they the family starts fighting and this is where it gets emotional right are you ready for that this episode of family guy is gonna get emotional right um we're 13 minutes into the episode now and at this point i'm thinking to myself hey since gi jose there hasn't actually been any digs at uh ethnic groups okay and i was like Maybe that's maybe they just got it out of their system and they're moving along. Uh, 13 minutes in, uh, there is a joke about Italian guys and black women both being uh, feisty and and uh, provocative and prone to fighting. Uh, so, and then Jews come into it for some reason. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I was, hope- I was hopeful for a minute and then down the gutter. Uh, and then we get another one later about Irish people also being fight fighting each other at in a bar. Um, so they okay. kind of like flood that section with a bunch of racial stereotypes. It's weird because it's during the like part where characters are having actual like emotional conversations with one another. You'd think that during the like mushroom psychedelic trip was where they would do it, but they were like, no, 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 no. No, hang on, hang on. Let's wait until characters are expressing themselves to one another, right? Well, it shows. Um, I think that's an insecurity, isn't it? Right? Like that's a deep insecurity on the part of the the writing team that they can't oh, wait. write drama without. Okay, all right. Okay, you're gonna love this. Okay, because right? this is because when I tell you about how the rest of this episode goes, it's it's gonna like it's everything we've been talking about. Okay, so you remember how last time we talked about how. Family Guy is just bad people, but then from time to time they try to convince, they try to imply that these are actually good people, and it doesn't work because unlike something like The Simpsons, yeah. where there actually is a belief that these are good people who are genuinely trying to be good to themselves and others, Family Guy has more or less discarded that entire notion and just fully embraces the fact that these are horrible, terrible, toxic human beings being terrible and toxic to one another. Yeah, right? and they don't learn. About anything. And they don't learn, and that's the point of it, right? right? Except that again, they try to shoehorn some modicum of humans connecting with one another into the end of these episodes to, you know, a, I don't for whatever reason, right? Okay, so, so literally, what the show becomes, okay, so the the ongoing like one of the ongoing jokes of the show is that everyone is mean to Meg, the daughter, right? Yeah, which the, is and, like, horrible. And, which is horror. It's horror. It is itself a grossly sexist, like terrible trope of the show, right? So what happens is the family starts arguing because they're all like you know in this house bottled up together, and then uh, and then they start all ganging up on Meg, and Meg hates it, and then Meg starts ranting to every single person in the family about how they're not good family members. She does this big, like, super earnest speech about about Lois, the mom, not being a good enough mother, and uh, and about how, like, Lois it doesn't tend to Meg in ways that would be meaningful for a parent to actually do. And then Lois breaks down and starts crying and talks about how she's so self-conscious about being a bad parent and she's disgusted with herself for her behavior. Like it gets super sincere, right? Yeah. And the characters start actually talking as though they have any understanding of what normal behavior is. Right. And, and 
throughout this, as it's doing this, from time to time, it periodically does exactly what you're saying, where it like pulls you out of that by having a character like there's like Lois is crying about how she is a bad parent. And then there's then there's an insert of Stewie, the baby, who just says, yeah, you're a bitch. Right. Yeah, that's the that's that line of this episode of from that Stewie says it it doesn't know how to actually let characters talk about things and the same thing happens with Peter because Meg turns to Peter and starts going like you are literally the worst father of any human being in history you would literally be in jail if people saw what you did to me and he laughs through this whole thing right yeah and that's the idea is that the show is like yeah look at how shitty this guy is right and he's getting away with it that he's getting away with it, right? And he can literally just sit there and laugh and make jokes about how his dog is drinking water while his wife and his daughter are having a full-on emotional breakdown at one another, Yeah, right? So it's actually attempting to tackle the idea that you and I have been talking about here, which is that normal human beings would have this reaction to one another if anyone for even two seconds had any awareness about what normal human beings do to one another. Yeah. I'm not saying there aren't dysfunctional families. I'm saying that these people would all literally be in jail in the real world. Yeah. Right? And I guess it's because they... They, but it's also because like they they know they want to break this mold in some way of this kind of sitcom pattern that they've set up, but they're not like committing to it because well, they're insecure about it, right? They're deeply insecure, and let me tell you how they get how they circumvent this so as to be able to go back to their normal routine of not having to address topics okay. like how like how tragically toxic every one of their main characters are. Do they so, turn it around <laughs> on Mag? Yes, that is exactly what they do. That is 100% what they do. Okay, so the family all splits up because they're like, oh, they're all like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, right? And then Meg's sitting on the couch and she's talking with Brian, the dog, and she has her epiphany, right? And her, her big epiphany is that dysfunctional families all need one person to take all of their aggression and toxicity out on and that she is that person. And that her role in the family is to accept that she is that person for the good of the family. Right? Oh, now, no. And then, and then Brian turns to her and and this is like, this is like the show is being like super sincere right now. Right? It's being super like earnest about this. Brian turns to her and says, Meg, that's the most incredibly no that's one of the most incredibly noble and mature things i have ever heard anyone say right uh-huh that th- this is the show congratulating itself on its big epiphany for how it's going to justify continuing to let these people be shitty to one another after it introduced the plot line where one of them realizes how shitty they're all being right god so they so so they all they literally all the family members run away crying meg calls them all together and then apologizes to them and calls them all amazing family members and says it was all about me i was just being shitty to you you are all great and amazing and i love you and peter goes Oh, so it was just you. You're just a shitty daughter. And every and then the rest of the family goes, Oh yeah, Meg, why'd you fuck that up for us? Right? God, you're you know, you're so you're so mean all the time. And Meg's like, Yeah, I am. 
And then the end of the episode, and then like literally after they all say all of that shit, then they all come together and hug one another because they love each other, because they're a family. And then the episode fucking ends. Oh no. I I would I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. What the fuck is this show? What is this show? Season 10 of this goddamn show. Oh my god. It's so... Like, and the worst is that it knew enough to know how awful it's being and then found a justification for it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it's it's worse that you know. It's worse that you understand how cruel you are. Like, you, you know, because in the, in the logic of these, you know, of these cartoons where you have like a, um, you know, Tom and Jerry kind of thing where they're hitting each other with, with sledgehammers. And then, but then, you know, 10 seconds later, they're just fine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, we, we understand that they're cartoon characters who, you know, can take a sledgehammer to the face and then they bounce back. Can you imagine if like Tom, the cat was snapped suddenly into real life and the accumulated physical trauma of all of his years of abuse were suddenly like entered his body all at once. Yeah. Right. As though he suddenly became real and then had to actually literally endure it. Like that's what they do to Meg in this scene. They make her real and then they dump all of the trauma on her. And then they're like, fucking yeah, baby collecting my check from big Mr. Murdoch. And then the show ends. You know, he's like, the drama equivalent of this pattern is um so i've only started recently realizing this but like joss whedon tends to write dramas that that uh downplay what's what's very difficult to do which is essentially um set up a situation that is going to be enticing for an audience to watch play out. They anticipate the conflict coming. They uh, are excited to watch, you know, the showdowns that he sets up for them. And then when the showdowns happen, he writes gags all the way through them. Yeah. (laughs) And he's kind of like the drama equivalent where he'll throw away a lot of emotional work by putting like quips and like funny lines and being like, but it's not so bad because blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's like, like the equivalent of, you know, like Tom and Jerry after someone's like hit someone with a mallet and then, um, then the other person is actually injured, (laughs) like really injured. Right. And then they make a joke about it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I love, I love the idea. I love, I love the idea of like an alternate version of Tom and Jerry, where like you know Jerry is a cartoon mouse, but Tom is an actual fucking cat. And like every time he takes like an acne rocket into the face, he literally starts like bleeding and has to be stitched up. But Tom, but Jerry is like, ha 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 ha. I got hit and I'm fine. Yeah, I don't know. That's, there's something sort of like. weirdly compelling about that idea (laughs) well i mean i i think i was just gonna say something about like i think there is like a a drama that's a bit like that um i forget what it was but essentially um i just think you know there's like a real kind of i don't 
don't know. I think it is. I think it does come from like a personal, like writerly insecurity that you can't let something go by without being funny, you know? Um, And I think, and I think honestly, like, I mean, the bigger trip for family guys that not that much that they do is funny. Just that. And and I hate, and I don't mean to like, you know, make excuses for anything any of this shit but at least if it was funny that would be something yeah i mean so here's the thing about joss Joss whedon's work yeah joss whedon's work like is funny like there are lots of moments in which you know especially in like buffy and whatnot like it is very very funny often i mean obviously he's just a showrunner he didn't do all the writing but you know he 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 definitely makes the templates and patterns for these things to happen in um and so I think that's kind of interesting in in the sense that he's he's actually kind of worse at the structural stuff um and and good at the jokes um and the fact that he runs these dramas is kind of interesting because maybe that's not his strong suit but I don't know anyway um all I remember is the first X-Men movie was funny because Joss Whedon had written like three jokes for it um mm-hmm. which was interesting cuz the rest of the movie I didn't think was super great but anyway um well somehow family man family guy manages to both have bad structure and not be funny so well, this uh, is it like that's amazing right because it's a very popular comedy as far as i'm aware right right it is very popular brings me back to two and a half men like how could that be on air (laughs) for that long it still makes money yeah yeah yeah. Um, Do you think it's because ha- people recognize, like, they like the fam- familiarity of, like, like s- s- boring middle-aged men just being on their screens and just saying stuff? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I, know. Th- that, has, that has to be a conclusion that we take away from this, which is that a, man, a white man in a certain age range can talk. And, and people that, that, will watch <laughs> There is an intrinsically compelling power to that, right? Yeah, but then, um, like, why? Why isn't that like? I guess I know the answer to this, but say, like, you know, when um, CBS was doing those like groundbreaking investigations into like the McCarthy stuff and like, yeah. Um, and all that stuff and it was like it was just like one guy <laughs> speaking directly yeah. to the audience a middle-aged man i mean he did say like quite a bit of you're saying like like why does the evening news not have the same raw compelling right uh, crowd pleasing uh that's, crowd-pleasing... that's what i'm saying is that yeah. why don't these middle-aged men who are clearly running the world and watching the television and comfort like feeling comforted by this like why don't they find that you know yeah. electrifying but i know the answer which is that the same people who are do making the problems here's here's what i here's what i all of the news and they don't like it here here's what i think i'm gonna put this out there okay and you can tell me what you think about this idea all right um we and when i say we i just mean like people as a as a sort of flock-like species um, or society or what, whatever you want to call it. Uh, people, like masses of people in society enjoy the sound of a middle-aged white dude talking. 
but we don't want we don't want the the thing being presented to us to imply that we actually do like it. We want to hide our like of the middle-aged white dude talking, right? Yeah. And so we need and so we need things around surrounding the middle-aged white dude that are commenting on how stupid the middle-aged white dude is. Right? Yeah. And what an idiot. And because that maybe they want to feel superior to the white dude. Do you ever you think yeah. about that? Like like like, oh, this this middle-aged white dude is so stupid and I'm much smarter. Yeah. And and whereas when Ted Koppel goes on ABC and does, you know, the like uh, you know, investigative reporting, Ted Koppel is way smarter than you. Yeah, right? like You'll Ed never Morrow. Be that pisses you that pisses yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like like and Moreau, it like it pisses you off that this guy's so smart and you'll never be that smart, right? Because you're an idiot piece of shit garbage. I mean, I, I feel like an idiot watching Ed Morrow, so. I feel like an idiot all the time, but then even more so when Ed Morrow comes on uh, on my my local my local evening news when Ed Morrow uh, comes on, and and I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel like I'm smart. And you know what? I you know I will say this. I will give this the season four to see what it did make you end. feel a lot smarter. I made me feel very smart. <laughs> <laughs> I have not felt quite so intelligent in a long time as while watching these two episodes of Family Guy. Well, you and know if what? That was the if that was the intention, I gotta say that you know you did it. You you actually no, got me. There. I think you really nailed it because my suspicion has been for a long time actually that the American public looks for something that makes them feel smart when they're obviously a lot of people's education is like the education system in the U.S. has definitely gone downhill as was the U.K.'s, but at a slower rate. And so I think. What's really interesting is that, you know, a lot of these educational institutions are, you know, like, essentially, like, teachers are paid nothing (laughs) um, to teach in the U.S. And so a lot of the state of education has kind of gone downhill. And I think what's super interesting is that for that reason, I think people are insecure about how much they know about the world and how much they know about what's going on and that, you know, it's given rise to a lot of conspiracy theories and paranoia and things. And so, you know, the ability to make the American public feel smart is actually a very, very powerful move. Um, You can control people if you make them feel smart. Um, And and here's the thing actually specifically about Family Guy. Now let's, let's actually treat this like it's like there's an amount of intentionality to it, just for the sake of a lighthearted conversation. As I sort of said, and, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, I think there are, there have always been a lot of problems with Family Guy. But early on, there was an actual amount of subversive quality to the comedy and Family Guy. It was actually doing something that was kind of unique and interesting and different. And for that reason, it gained a lot of this like cultish following, right? There was a lot of, like, I remember back in the day when Family Guy got canceled before it was brought back onto the air, you'd hear, you'd hear people be like, oh, there was this great joke from Family Guy. Oh, you got to see it, man. It was like so funny and cool and like blah, blah, blah. So it had this real kind of, you know, under underground kind of feeling to it. And that's exactly the sort of thing that any average person that's exactly the kind of thing that makes any average person feel dumb 
if they're not in on that right yeah. oh you have you haven't seen you know season two of family guy oh man you're really missing out right <clears throat> so that entered the public consciousness as being like family guy is this intelligent thing that is cooler than you and it's not for you right so family guy comes back on the air and starts to actually take off and become a big hit series and then at some point between then and now becomes an awful garbage truck of trash and then people watching in to watch Family Guy and they're like, this is the intelligent show that everyone's been talking about. I am so much smarter than this. And it makes them feel great, right? Because they're smarter than the show that they were told was smart, you know? And that's a different thing than the Chuck Lorre shows because nobody ever says those shows are smart right no. nobody's like oh my god the big bang theory really innovated on you know like situational comedy right but people did say that about family guy and and today people can sit down at their you know sit down in front of the family television on monday nights at 6 30 and pull up the fox television channel and they can watch 30 minutes of peter griffin making noises and not telling jokes and they're like God, I'm so intelligent if this was the thing that people liked, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting, you know, because the tradition in the UK is not to have a figure, like a middle-aged white man figure that, you know, you can feel smarter than. What, what you tend to get here is a smart guy that bad stuff always happens to you. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's like it's 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 always like like complete failure happens to a person who doesn't deserve it, and, and you, the comedy yeah. is about laughing along with the fact that this person doesn't really deserve it. Um, yeah, and the majority of things like our most famous comedy, I guess, is Blackadder, and it's all about you know the smartest guy in the room. And I, he has to deal with all of the idiocy going on around him and continue to fail and all of his plans go yeah. into nothing. Um, and that's and like the joke like, for us. And then you have The Simpsons, which is the dumb guy that smart things happen to. Yeah. Right? And that's the comedy there. And then you have Family Guy, which is the dumb guy that dumb things happen to. Yeah. And it's the worst. It's the worst of both cultures. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting as well, because I was thinking the other day about, um, so The Thick of It is basically written by this guy called Armando Iannucci, who is very, very funny, and he's been doing a lot of comedy in the UK for a long time. Um, he's more like a kind of wordsmithy guy, so you'd never think his stuff would go well in America. But then what happened was he did The Thick of It, and then he did... The Thick of It, the thick of it was a TV show. It was like a political comedy sort yeah, of... Yeah, it's uh, like a kind very, of, yeah. um, you know, like... It's like the this is spinal tap version of British politics, where it's like a documentary or a mockumentary, but it's like deeply uncomfortable in lots of ways because everyone is just trying to cover up the fact that they screwed up massively. And that's the joke, is that they're just trying to keep their jobs, but they just ruin the whole country constantly with their dumb mistakes and stupid fuck ups and you know mm -hmm. craven behavior basically and then he went on to make veep which is one of my favorite hbo tv shows um 
and it's about American politics. And the difference between the two is that in the British, uh, the thick of it, uh, no one has like good intent. Like no one goes into the job of politics and goes, I'm going to make the country better. All they're trying to do is not screw up the country and they completely constantly do it. And then they try and cover up the fact that they have screwed up the country. Whereas the difference in Veep is that they all intend to be the greatest hero of all time. They all continue to strive towards being the world's best president, the world's best vice president, be seen by the American public as being these heroic figures. And yes, they are terrible. They they are ignorant and they screw up and they don't know how to do their jobs well. So the diff, like I think it's like the different intent is really interesting because everyone wants to be a hero. It's just that no yeah. one wants to ha- be discovered that they're not the hero you know well and this i think plays into the fantasy that family guy offers to those um you know average americans who know that they're deep down that they're shitty people but they want to be the hero and they want to be good and they want everyone to love them anyway that is that peter griffin is is a man who in both of the in 100 percent of the episodes of family guy that i have watched so far from season 10 he is a man who goes to like phenomenal lengths to antagonize his loved ones who then at the end of every episode come to him and tell him he's a great person right and the fantasy that people are getting out of family guy is that i can be a total fuck up and still be the hero somehow for some magical reason that nobody ever fully explains somehow i'm the hero in the end that's the american that's the american fucking dream i that's what every american wants is to be the biggest fuck up in the room and still be the hero and is that really so much to ask it's like a fail failing upwards situation not just not just failing upwards failing into the fucking stratosphere (laughs) like failing your way straight to heaven right i'm talking like saint peter opens the pearly gates and you are like ass blasting farting your way up into heaven right (laughs) like it's like a direct to godhood kind of status. Would you say in a space vehicle that farts its way to Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, and with that, we were on page 261. Well, <laughs> that's the... <laughs> Let me check the timestamp here. Uh, we got minutes. 53 minutes, 53 minutes of this episode. Um, let's, let's read a page. <laughs> let's read a page. All right. From Starcraft Goes Nova, the 2006 novel by USA Today bestselling author Keith R. Canada. Kara, take it away. Page 261, activating her comm, Esmeralda said. Dochi, go. She noticed that Spaulding cut off his conversation with the McGillian in the middle of one of the sergeant's tired rants about the Tarsonas Tigers defensive lines. The calm was going into his headset as well. Major, this is General Ledbetter. Your orders have been changed, effective immediately. The sons of Korhal have penetrated our orbital defenses, and we need you to defend the city. That got Esmeralda's blood boiling. 
She never liked the slikes of Corhall, as she preferred to call them, and the way they were using the deaths of good Confederate soldiers to further their treasonous agenda. We're, we're to return to base immediately, sir? No. Ladbaster sounded pretty cracked off about that, which meant it wasn't his order, but that of someone over his head. Since the number of people over Ledbetter's head could be counted on the fingers of one hand, that was going some. However, you are to complete your current mission with dispatch, Major. Agent Kalerchian is no longer in charge of the op. Doshi grinned. Spalding never smiled, but he did give a satisfied, satisfied nod. You're to retrieve Novaterra by whatever means are necessary and bring her back to Holy K-Town within 30 minutes. Holy K-Town! Holy K-Town! Yeah! Ilsa Kiliania was one of the people you could count on that hand. They obviously wanted this Terra girl pretty bad, enough to temporarily hold back their best ground unit to defend an invasion at the heart of the Confederacy. Esmeralda could understand why. The Confederates were losing their two-front war against the Zerg and the Protoss, and the only reason they were keeping any ground was because of what the ghosts were doing. But they were also dying, or in the case of that treasonous like Sarah Kerrigan, defecting at a great rate, so new recruits were vital. We all know why Sarah Kerrigan defected to the Zerg. Yeah, she, um, she liked the... Uh, that's... It's because of those good Zerg tongues. They like she liked the Zerg tongue. She got they got that good tongue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um let's go on. Roger, sir, you'll have her. Dochi out. Spalding immediately got immediately got to his feet. Ten hut. The poker game. So, the pop quizzes. Let me let me just kind of what? Let me pause this for a second because if it's so it seems like where this is going is that the annihilators get an order to just charge in and fuck shit up. Basically. Yeah, because they've relieved Clergian because he hasn't so, made headway. <laughs> well, therein, is, therein lies the rub, right? For the very first time in the entire story, Malcolm has made headway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the very minute he actually does something is the moment at which he gets relieved of duty. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Which is a kind of irony. Well, that... or you could argue that he's continued to not make headway. <laughs> because uh, they are taking over. Yeah, well, but but as they are doing this, he is actually, he hasn't, he is now freed Nova and she wants to join the ghost program. Right. Right. So, what is that? Hmm. Like, like this is, this is the sort of, um, what would be a good... Uh, you know, like the kind of comedy where characters get super close to achieving what they want and then everything goes wrong, like right at the last second. Yeah, you know, like know? a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, very Coen Brothers. <laughs> yeah, definitely Coen Brothers. Well, they're my favorite stories because um, like it's very like, um, you know, man comes through the door with a gun. You know, like Raymond Ray- yeah. Chandler's favorite thing to do is that he was like when you're getting bored with what you're writing just have a man come through the door with a gun and then see what mm-hmm. happens and that's kind of how that like the coen brothers make their movie structures is like oh well this seems to be going well for these characters what can we do to mess it up kind of deal yeah. um and yeah, yeah like i guess this is a, a key structure also but coen brothers well but see see I, okay because in a coen brother film Usually the characters are at least like halfway competent, right? And Malcolm hasn't done anything. 
point. You know what I mean? Like, like, is there a more of a is there a Coen Brothers film? Is there a Coen Brothers film where no character really does anything? Like, you know what I mean? The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. That's exactly <laughs> yes. That's thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, the Big Lebowski is perfect because he does nothing and he gets continually subverted. Is Malcolm Kalerchi and the dude from the Big Lebowski? I mean, he does have a lot of similarities. He does have They're a big actually- coat. He has a slightly disconcerting smile. He is a a continuing preoccupation with uh, mind-altering substances. Yes, that's true. Um, Uh, He's got a big, dumb friend. We've not seen clergy and drink, have we? Have we? Well, no, no, that's why I said substances, because he has his drug belt that he's like always, he's like always using his drugs, you know? yeah. Wait, he, wait. So he, went on that, he went to that dinner. Oh no, he didn't. He didn't say that he drank anything then. Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying he's he's using like uh you know mind altering substance. Yeah. Right. That's that's the dude. Yeah. That's that's a, right. Yeah. 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 Right. And also the dumb friend. Yeah. I was just thinking Larry feels a little bit like, like um, yeah. Uh, John Goodman. What's John Goodman's character name? Is Larry more like Donnie or uh, God? Wait, what's John Goodman's character name in the Lebowski? Uh, I forgot. Oh my God! Hang on. I, well, you only remember Donnie's name because that's right. Because he's always yelling at Donnie. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. This is so stupid. I can't believe I don't remember what his name. Walter. Walter. Oh yeah, it's Walter. Walter. Um, is Larry more like Walter or more like Donnie? I don't know because, like, it's difficult, right? Because Walter is always with the dude. Yeah. All the way through. But yeah, I I rewatched it recently and um. What's her name? Like, uh, Ju- is it Julianne Moore? Um, yeah, is in it, and she's amazing. And yeah. I always forget she's in yeah. it, but she's so good. Um, yeah, she's everyone's amazing. Everyone's amazing in that movie. It's true. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we veered off into this, but yes, I would say Kalerchi, Malcolm Kalerchi is very much like the dude, um, if less funny and probably less interesting in his situation. But I mean, all you of know. any amount of humor, like between between the dude and Malcolm, there's like a normal average amount of humor. Yeah, right. In what they're in in their actions and behavior. That's it. Because the dude gets all has is all the humor basically. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, this is very interesting that you know at the moment that, I mean, this has like been Malcolm's one task, right? Get her and put her in the ghost program. We have taken yeah. 260 pages for him 263 pages, and we're still not there. We're still not really yeah. there, and it's like. For most of the book, he literally just didn't know where she was. <laughs> yeah. He didn't ask. No, she was she was down the street from where he yeah, was. Right. And that is insane. Like, could you really could you make could you make a movie? Maybe you could make a Coen Brothers movie that's got that plot. 
Well, it would it would be can you it would be like a Coen Brothers miniseries or something, right? Yeah. Where there's like a continual sort of failure to you know, del- but I feel like it would Coen Brothers Coen Brothers films they're so compact and so sort of tightly wound in their logic, yes. you know, that it's like you can't stretch it out over that long. Like Coen Brothers films don't. There's no six month time jump in a Coen Brothers film. No, you know? yeah. Like I mean, there's it's... there's so there's such a dense kind of uh, plot ball. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it could almost be like a you know dramatic irony situation, as in like the audience knows exactly where this person is, but the main characters don't. Um, yeah. It could be a series of scenes whereby they almost like almost turn around and see the person there, but they don't. Right. <laughs> and they continue right. to have this problem, but you couldn't spin that out for very long. You know, it would be a movie probably. It would be, a, that's what I'm saying. Like it would have to be a movie. And this, the Starcraft Goes Nova has, has I think a little bit more than a movie's worth of plot in it. Um, like some, like how, how would this work as a, could you imagine trying to make Starcraft Goes Nova as a movie? Like, what would that look like? I mean, it would be hard because nothing, no visual elements at all happen, right? And like, well, there's the explosion. There's the explosion in the in the tower. Yeah, early on, but like that's it, and that's it. That's it. And then there's whatever <laughs> is happening right now, you know. And that was that was like, oh my god, it's like page fifty or something was the first one. And then two hundred page two hundred sixty is the second. You could do it a bit like the raid. Have you ever seen the raid? Yeah, yeah. I love the raid. So yeah. you could do it a bit like the raid, where there's the tower thing, and then we take that whole chunk of Malcolm not doing his job and being incompetent out. <laughs> yeah, and then we just get to this section of the book, yeah. and then it's a complex trying to like find Nova situation where she's a badass now. So it's difficult to get to her. And then that's the movie, but I don't know. I feel like you could do a sort of like kind of funny inverted structure kind of movie where, um, where this, where these plot elements are happening and Malcolm is in the background and he thinks he's the protagonist of the movie. And like, he shows up and he's like, don't worry, Malcolm Kalurchian is on the job. And then he turns and his duster like flies up in a big dramatic motion and he storms out the door. And then we just don't hear shit from him for like, you know, he just doesn't do it. But then he shows up like 30 minutes later in the movie, you know, and he's like, Agent Kalurchian reporting for duty. And then he turns and his duster flies up and he walks out the door again. Like it would just every now and then he would show up, you know. Do you know what I wish for Malcolm? That I wish that he gets a medal for this. <laughs> like, that's what I'm hoping. Like, well, there's definitely, there's definitely like, there's, like a, there's a very, <laughs> there's a very, uh, there's there's very much a kind of like, um, uh, what what am I trying to say? Like a version of this was very cynical about bureaucracy with people getting getting you know awards for shit they didn't do, but. I just kind of like it more like the idea that this really is, he actually just did a good job for the, for, you know, people for relative to the jobs people usually do in this world. And yeah. Yeah. 
and that the, yeah, and that he gets the purple heart, uh, and then he gets promoted. Even you know, he becomes the head of the department, and then the next book is Malcolm trying to run the department. I mean, a lot of promote like gang promote is just being the right place at the right time. Unfortunately, it's not that much about work. Often, it's more like just you know biding your time and not pissing anyone off. I guess. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, Malcolm has pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> yeah, he has actually. So I don't really know how that lines up or works or anything, but he's definitely not doing a good job of staying, staying out of the way. Yeah, he not only is he not doing his job, but he's actively pissing off a lot of people while he's doing that. Yeah, like everyone's nobody likes Malcolm. That's the thing is that like when these loose cannon sort of cop types you know do they're like sure he's fucking rough and tumble but he gets the job done nobody no, nobody ever talks about the character like sure he may be a hard ass son of a bitch but he also doesn't achieve anything <laughs> you know that's not like a a trope of of any show but now i want this now i want this tv show now i want this or to be a thing. I want the Cohen brothers to write the story of Malcolm Kalerchian. Uh, and they call it the, you know, the tiny Lebowski. And he, and he's, and it's just, Maybe we should just do it. We should just, we should just write this as if it wasn't in the Starcraft universe. It's just a version. Jesus. I'm, 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 my schedule is already fucking slammed from watching family guy. uh, (laughs) Every week. And then, like, emotionally processing that and <laughs> having to go through that every week. Um, oh, dear. Well, that thanks for listening to the Inspirational Corner. I can't believe um, we <laughs> only read a page. <laughs> and you know what's great? You know what's great about this episode is that not only did Family Guy deliver in all of the ways we knew it would but also Keith fucking delivered because we got a new character in the one page that we I read. know I can't even believe it we got General Ledbetter Ugh. General fucking Ledbetter to the rescue saving me from having to eat a page of this book once again can uh, you <laughs> believe it and if you if can you believe can it, believe it, we have made it twenty-four weeks in a row meeting a new <laughs> character <laughs> every single time. Um, great job, Kara, to both of us. But yeah, we have if, we have spent a good fifty-five we're, minutes we're talking heroes. about a show we that neither heroes. of us like. Wait, how, okay, hang on. How did we not? Okay, Malcolm is Peter Griffin. <laughs> he does he's a shitty person who does nothing and everyone hates him and then he gets a medal <laughs> Malcolm is Peter Griffin well you know well then I mean there's nothing about this book that isn't family guy <laughs> <laughs> If you you go back page by page, you'll find that every line of this book has a Family Guy analog somewhere. Uh, This episode is brought to you by the fucking American Spirit. 
to triumph in the face of being a total fuck up and an idiot. Yeah. Um, and, and also bless. and also the British spirit, which is to uh, quietly accept failure. <laughs> which is our role in all of this. <laughs> you and I have to accept the miserable defeat of our lot in all of this. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and God bless Peter Griffin and God bless Malcolm Kalerchian for being the heroes we need in these trying times. I mean, not the heroes we need, the heroes we got. (laughs) The heroes, the heroes were required by law (laughs) to, to appreciate. The heroes that got filled in on the farm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the heroes that were there. Yeah. Why? Don't know. <laughs> all right. Um, well, all right. Let's get out of here. We did you, another. Keith. We did another one of these. Thank you, Keith. Uh, thank you, General Ledbetter, and thank you, listener. Uh, feel free to write in to the Inspirational Quarterly at gmail dot com to tell us to not stop talk about, about family guys. <laughs> We okay. We've our as it is. Our average listenership has not meaningfully decreased in the last month or so, which means that like people, we we're we're past the point of we're past the point of filtering out listeners based (laughs) on the content of the shit we're talking about. So apparently, we can talk about fucking anything now, and and these ninety five or so people are still gonna listen. Well, Which is what Anchor tells me we're season at, two um, Chuck Floor comedies. <laughs> yeah, no, we're the we're basically the uh, two and a half man of podcast where f- anything could happen, and somehow, some reason, people keep tuning in. Yep. Oh, God. so thank you for continuing to tune in despite literally anything we say. Oh dear. And with that. I think the only way to end this episode is with our very favorite classical band of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Warp Drive.